We're going to we're going to go ahead and get started here. I've pushed it to 709 before I was even paying attention. So uh, we're uh, we're back in First Peter, and we're actually going to start in chapter three today. But um, before we do that, we're going to want to pray. Each time we get into the Word, we want to pray. We want to ask. Uh, we're going to ask the Lord to uh, to speak to us, and uh, we want to want to ask Him to uh, apply the Word to us. So let's pray, and then let's look at this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come before you right now. Um, there are a lot of distractions with all this technology, but it does allow people to be able to join us and uh, to be a part of what we're doing. And so I just thank you for those that have joined via Zoom, for those that are watching on YouTube, uh, for those who will be a part uh, by uh, listening to the podcast later. I pray, Father, that your word will go forth in a way that is honoring and uh, I pray that we'll understand it. I pray that we'll apply it. And I, I pray that uh, as we look at these, uh, these ideas that are becoming increasingly foreign to us and really are offensive to some people, that we will not stumble over uh, your word, but we will allow it to speak to us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, excuse me, I, that should have been one sentence, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And I'll put this verse up there later for those of you in the room. Uh, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wow, okay, so in our current world, that's just incredibly offensive. Uh, it's about as offensive as we're talking about uh, when earlier we were talking about, uh, as in last week, we were talking about slaves submitting to your masters. You know, why in the world did we not just do away with slavery? Why are we even still talking about that, right? Um, but uh, let's, let's just remind ourselves, there's a kingdom order and there's an earthly order, right? There's a spiritual order and there is a natural order. There is worldly and there is spiritual, and we need to understand that, okay? Um, we have been instructed to view ourselves from the spiritual perspective, okay? So we're to realize that our position is God's people in the kingdom, and that is that we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, we are a people from, for God's own possession. That's what we've already looked at. Uh, that's in chapter two, verse nine. That's who we are. That's all of us together. But as long as we live on earth among those who are not citizens of the kingdom, and there are plenty of people, uh, as I've indicated before, there was a time in the Western world when, you know, if you lived in a nation, you were considered, you know, a Christian because of that, you were in Christendom, right? So 
Um, if you are virtually in anywhere uh, in any nation that is today Europe uh, during the, the Middle Ages, you were a Christian. That was just a given. Uh, that's why babies were baptized. You were essentially baptized as a way of recognizing that that's, you were part of Christendom. And this, I, I mean, I'm going to look at what I'm going to talk about Sunday, but this is what I'm kind of aiming toward uh, talking about Sunday, is individual responsibility for sin. Um, you make decisions as to whether you're going to uh, receive what that culture is teaching you, all right? So we're, you know, we, we're taught, we're, we're brought up in an educational system, and like it or not, one of the primary purposes of an educational system is enculturation. That is, it is te we're teaching children how to get along in our culture, and we're literally teaching them values. Now, we like to think of ourselves as, you know, being, well, we're value neutral, and no, no we're very strongly teaching them certain values in these schools. And this is why we have, you know, issues. We have teachers that are Christian teachers, we have teachers that are not. Um, we would like to impart healthy values to them, but there, there are two dramatically different views of the way human beings are, are to be, live, um, in this world that we're living in today. They're, they're very dramatically different than one another. And so we're enculturating, we're indoctrinating, we're teaching them certain that doctrines, right? Uh, about, not just about, you know, we would normally associate that with say the Bible or something, but this relates to how you look at the world, right? Uh, the way you approach things. Um, so a lot of the categories that are being bantied about today are, um, they're not biblical categories. They are impregnated with important values, but we're looking at these things from a non-biblical perspective. So social justice is not a biblical category, right? Justice is. Race is not a biblical category. We're all of the same race. We're all of the family of Adam. Now, we come from different nations and we have different ethnicities. So there are different values under which we were raised. And there's a tendency to think that, you know, well, there are certain of these that are acceptable and certain that are not. But the reality is the only way to evaluate whether something is good or bad or right or wrong is to look at what God says and to understand what God thinks and evaluate that accordingly. So I don't need to be just taking my culture at face value, my, you know, ethnicity at face value, what my family taught me at face value. I need to evaluate that according to the scripture. That's what I need to be doing. Rather than just taking on these categories that are being uh, taught to us. And it's, it's interesting to me, it's, it's right now, it is, it's an absolute full court press. It's every single place you turn the same ideas and you're not allowed, it, it, whether it's about the coronavirus or whether it is about social justice, you're not allowed to think anything different. You can't, it's not permitted because there is a certain um, value system that is being taught right now by those who are in positions of power. And uh, there, there's no compromise that is being brokered. There's, it's not America any longer. Um, so what we need to understand is that we're living in a world that is really in, in very many ways, um, if not actively opposed to Christ, teaching a 
alternate vision and an alternate view. So what is our response uh, when we're living in that world? Well, our response when living in that world is what the, the, uh, the scripture has taught here um, earlier in chapter two of 2 Peter. Um, remember what he said, he said, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as aliens and strangers, that's what we are here. We're aliens and strangers. We're coming from a different perspective. We're headed toward a different world. We're citizens of a different kingdom. He says, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Sure, makes sense. And keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This may very well be the theme for why he begins teaching about relationships, what he begins teaching. The first thing that he says, so he says, uh, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. The first thing that he says in that regard, how do I keep my conduct honorable among the Gentiles? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then he begins with political institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's the point of this teaching, is that we are living in a winsome way in the world. Our purpose is to win people to the the kingdom perspective, to bring them to the place where they see that, wow, you people have an amazing way of, of life, lifestyle, if you will, okay? You have an amazing perspective. There's something about you that it's not just different, it's good, it's wholesome. And I want that. I want, I'm drawn to that, right? And so in the, in the ancient world, uh, what they were not seeking to do, and honestly, it is, it is what we are not seeking to do, is to overturn the social order. Well, that's the purpose of social justice. I sent out a link um, earlier uh, to everyone um, that uh, it's, a, uh, it's a teaching by Vadi Bauckham on social justice. And uh, this guy's got a, a doctorate, he's got a degree in sociology, He's the dean of a, um, or maybe he's the president, I can't remember what his title is, uh, of a, a seminary in Africa now. Um, but uh, I remember him as a speaker years ago. He was a very popular speaker uh, here in the, in the States. In fact, he was a youth speaker, a college speaker and so forth. Um, he's done a lot of different things, but he has a lot of interesting things to say about racism and about social justice. Um, and uh, he is a, a, a black American man who chose at a point in the past to leave the black church and to share his perspective and to receive from the churches that were primarily white, that were looking, you know, they wanted to be more integrated. They wanted to be more open, uh, more racially open. And so he, you know, he brought his family into that perspective. Anyway, I, I've listened to three different of his teachings uh, about race and social justice. Um, and a, a term that he uh, came up with, uh, he calls it ethnic Gnosticism, 
which I'm not going to go into the whole uh, teaching there, but it's, it's very interesting. Just look up Vadi Bauckham, B-A-U-C-H-A-M, and listen to some of the things that he has to say about these issues. But uh, the idea of social justice is not what you and I think it is. It's a political idea. It's socialism. It's really, in the end, it's not even socialism, it's Marxism. It's the purpose of social justice is the redistribution of resources. That's socialism. That means if you have worked your whole life and you've saved your money and you've got that money in the bank and that's for your retirement or whatever, the point behind social justice is, but there are people here that don't have that and you know, whether they didn't save or whatever, but they're in an inferior position. And so we need to take from you and we need to give to them. That is what social justice teaches. That's what you need to understand. It's not teaching what you think it's teaching. So this wide acceptance of social justice is not understanding what's behind it, right? So from a biblical perspective, we want justice. We want people to be treated with equity. That's essential. That's the Christian mission, right? Men, women, young, old, whatever nationality, whatever ethnicity, and you see that in the scripture as well. Um, but what are we supposed to be doing as believers? Are we supposed to be actively seeking to convert institutions? No. Christ came to actively convert individuals. And then those individuals live out those values and in our society, vote those values. And sadly, we see believers on both extremes of the, the political spectrum and we don't have a clear-cut choice as far as uh, somebody who is living healthy Christian values, but I think we can look at, when we make these determinations, we can look at who is supporting uh, Christians and free speech and the free exercise of religion and so forth when we do that. But Christ's purpose is to transform you, to change your heart, right? And that's, that's a, a mission that is foreign to the Marxist ideology because Marxists do not believe in the supernatural. They're, they're naturalists. They're, um, they're not going to admit that there is any alternate kingdom or world or anything we're looking forward to. This life is all there is. This is why um, most of those who promote socialism, communism, definitely those who promote Marxism, are, they're atheists. That's, Marx was an atheist. Right? So what is, what is our job? This is why you don't hear me actively preaching this all the time in the pulpit. Um, as we get closer to the election, I'm gonna start helping people to understand some of these things because I think it's important when you evaluate who you're gonna vote for. But our purpose is to preach the gospel. The gospel is the good news about Jesus. And that was, we presented that last time. That's at the conclusion uh, of chapter two where he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He didn't come to convert social institutions so that there would be laws and that there would be uh, individuals in power who would press us and force us to, uh, to act in certain ways uh, that are ultimately contrary to the way we feel, right? People are inherently selfish. That's just who we are. That's what we are. That's the nature of, of any human being. And Christ came to transform us 
into those that are God-focused, God-centered, and who care about other human beings. That's what he came to do. So as long as we're, uh, we're citizens of the kingdom, we need to be living that out in the world, okay? And so he starts with those in political power, and he says that the purpose for God putting them in there was to punish the evil and praise the good. And that, I said several weeks ago, was how you evaluate whether you're going to be involved in a protest. Are those whom you are protesting, who are in power, are they punishing the evil and praising the good? Then you don't need to be protesting. But if that's not happening, if they're praising the evil and punishing the good, then that's a reason to protest. That's how you need to evaluate that, okay? Again, how do you decide what's good and what's evil? Do you look at what a particular political group said is good and evil, what your university taught you? No, we look at the Word of God. We look at the Scripture as to uh, what is good and what is evil, all right? So that's how it begins. And then we, we got to the, you know, again, I said this week is offensive based on, on what we saw. Then we got into the uh, really offensive statement that uh, slaves were to continue to submit to their masters. Well, once again, I, you know, I asked the question, why weren't Christians willing to uh, simply do away with slavery immediately? Well, we have in Scripture the, the book of Philemon, where the Apostle Paul uh, told Philemon, here's Onesimus, your runaway slave, who could have been executed when he got returned to his master, could have been severely beaten. He said, no, I want you to treat him as a brother, number one. And number two, if he's stolen anything from you, I want you to charge that to my account. He's been useful to me, which was uh, kind of appropriate because Onesimus', Onesimus' name meant useful, right? Although he was useless to you, the Apostle Paul said, he has now proven to be useful, you know? Um, so uh, the, the most important story in Israelite history is a story of slaves being freed they were being freed from slavery in Egypt. So God is not, we, we're not gonna say God is pro-slavery, but we're gonna look at certain passages and certain scriptures and we're gonna say, you know, well, why is this? Once again, the point was not to implement social justice. The point was to implement a revolution in the inside of human beings and to let that spread like leaven spreads through bread, right? That was one of the, you know, these metaphors that Jesus used for the kingdom, all related to the kingdom spreading like that. Okay, at the, at the risk of seeming callous, it, the kingdom is to spread like a virus, right? Don't we say when uh, a particular video on YouTube or whatever um, is very popular that it went viral, you know? There's a guy, uh, his name is, uh, his uh, handle or whatever you want to call it, uh, on YouTube is The Officer Tatum. And uh, he was a Tucson police officer. And he comes out in opposition to uh, all of these extreme statements about social justice and, and the protests are fine. Riots are not protests, right? And this fella initially, his position, and he's an African-American male, a black American man, and his position is different than what the perception or the prejudice would be that his position would be. But he, he first posted a, uh, a pro-Trump video in 2016, 
and it ended up getting 70 million views. It went viral. And so this caused him eventually to, uh, to quit the Tucson Police Department and become, essentially, he just goes to all of these organizations and promotes and does these, you can actually make a living on YouTube. I mean, some of these guys have so many people viewing their videos that they're, they're bringing in thousands of dollars a month on YouTube. So, you know, I watched one of his videos where he was talking about how he transitioned and why he quit the police. He said, no, he said, I didn't have a problem with the Tucson Police Department. He said, it was fine, I liked it, they liked me. But he said, not the police chief. He said the police chief was, you know, extreme left and was causing problems. So I could see where that, you know, was the case. But my point in bringing all this up is to say that our Christian faith should be spreading like that. We should be sharing the gospel and we should be giving that, that healthy view of life that people are attracted to and that they want to talk about, right? So that... In the Apostle Paul's day, he said, there are people that are preaching the gospel and you know it's out of selfish motives or even out of malice, but just as long as the gospel gets spread. Well, what Paul was in fact pointing out was that there were people that were opposed to him that were still telling his story. And he didn't care as long as the gospel got preached, you know, as long as the truth gets told, it doesn't matter if the donkey tells it or, you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay, right? And so, but what are we doing? We are seeking to, and, and I, I hope you don't get this, get the wrong idea here, and you probably won't based on what I've already said, but we're seeking to fit into our society as much as we can. So if you're with a bunch of people um, who are uh, promoting a view that is not exactly your view, you don't have to stand up and holler and come up against them and so forth. And I'm speaking against myself because oftentimes um, online, I've seen someone that I thought was my Facebook friend, I thought was a regular friend, and they posted something that I went, what? And so I'm not, you know, I don't think I'm being rude. I'm just like, what, you know, don't, what are you saying? And you know, and they just get so offended. What are you saying? You know, okay, so I've just stopped posting anything. When somebody else posts something, I've stopped replying in a way that opposes them. I've just stopped doing it because they think you're being mean to them personally. I'm, I'm not, right? But if somebody doesn't get it, then it doesn't matter. Um, you know, ultimately what I've got to figure out how to do is I've got to figure out how to get along with people in the real world. So, um, I put a sign out in front of our church two weeks ago that said, black lives do matter. But that doesn't mean that I support that political position. The, the three individuals who started the Black Lives Matter movement in 2013 in the wake of the Trayvon Martin death um, are socialists. And their, their purpose is socialism, all right? So if we're talking about what that appears to say, then absolutely. But see, then these same people are offended if I say all lives matter. These same people are offended if I say police lives matter. But that's all true. But no, 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 you can't say that. But I can say that. But why am I not saying that right now? Because there's a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. And there have been some hideous wrongs that have been done and it's very, very much to the forefront. And I am not going to attempt to uh, 
discount or gaslight what these people are attempting to say and do. So, but that's why I put the do in there. I didn't put a hashtag BLM because I, I don't buy that, okay? I just, I really, really don't. But what I'm trying to say is this is my effort to get along. So the protests came to downtown Garland and it was very peaceful. Um, the police chief was there. The mayor was there. There were several police officers were there. But I mean, they just, this is just not me and many people in our church, this is not them either. You know, the, the, you know, the person in the crowd that's leading the crowd yells out, blah, blah, blah. And everybody else yells, blah, blah, blah. You know, and you know, black lives matter, black lives matter. You know, why are we all, why do we all have to say the same thing? And just let, let's just, you know, let's support people who are hurting here, but we don't, it's just, it's very much like brainwashing and indoctrination. But why am I saying that to you here in this room, right? And to this small audience here, and I'm not just making this broadly known because I don't want to detract from something that I think is deeply, deeply important to some people and for good reason. And I'm just not going to do that. Okay. In the past, I've made statements about these things, but I'm just, I'm simply not doing that. Now, the time may come as we continue to see police officers who are being injured and who are being killed out there, as we continue to see the extremes that the fringes are moving toward, um, then it, it will, you know, the time will come to speak up. But for now, my point is, and believe it or not, this fits into what we're talking about here. My point is to, to fit into what we're doing. I went out and, and, and sat at the edge of that protest and listened. I didn't go to the high school and march with them, all right? But Craig did. Craig felt compelled to do that. He prayed about it. And there was another one at Rowlett High School last weekend, and Craig marched with that group as well. And he's conducted these conversations online, and he, he feels very deeply moved and wants to do these things. And I think that this is important. Um, but that doesn't mean that we agree with the agenda behind some of these political people who are pushing this, okay? What I need to do is I need to love people, okay? I don't need to be going out there to the edge of the crowd and saying, hey, do you know that this is a socialist movement? Do you know that the purpose of this is not what you think it is? And holding my own sign up out there, all lives matter. What is that gonna do exactly? That's not gonna accomplish anything. It's gonna make other people who are mad about this happy, but it's, it's not gonna salve the wounds of those who are hurting right now. So as I'm trying to use this as an example of why the Apostle Paul and Peter would both say, slaves submit to your masters. At that point in time, this was a nearly, if not universal institution in the world. For Christians to decide that, that their primary purpose was to uh, abrogate slavery would have simply resulted in the end of Christianity early on. The long-term effect was so many people's lives were changed and people's hearts were changed that Christians were at the forefront of the abolitionist movement. In fact, they were the ones who, who essentially started the abolitionist movement in the United States, okay? That's because they've been transformed from the inside out, right? So now we get down to this we say, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So the same word has been used, be subject to every human institution, to the emperor, to governors, and so forth. And by the way, that would include to police officers. 
Uh, and then slaves be subject to your masters and now wives be subject to your husbands. What does this mean? Does it mean to be subjugated? Does it mean to put yourself in a position to be dominated? That's not what it means. It's the word hupotasso. And the literal meaning is to order yourself under. There is an order. And if you don't have an order in society, if you don't have an order in your household, then you end up with division. This is what we see. He's not my president. Well, I didn't say that with several presidents that I didn't vote for. I didn't vote for Bill Clinton. I didn't vote for Barack Obama. I didn't agree with 50% or more of Barack Obama's policies, but I told people he's the president of the United States and you need to respect him and you need to respect the office. Well, Trump, I can't respect him. He's just, I'm sorry. It applies the same way. Here, the scripture said, respect the emperor. It said, subject yourself to the emperor. And Emperor Nero was a far worse character than you know Trump either is or is purported to be. So now we get down to this. Wives, subject yourself to your own husbands. Order yourself under your husbands. And it immediately tells you why. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word to the conduct of their wives. Wow. Or by the conduct of their wives. Your purpose is to put yourself in a position to be winsome. Now, if you're in a Christian marriage, then you're, as in your husband is genuinely living for Christ, this could be somebody that is a nominal Christian. It says they don't obey the word. Notice, obey, not they don't say they believe, right? Or confess or profess that they're a Christian. No, they don't obey the word. How are you gonna win them over? You're not gonna win them over by scolding them. You're not gonna win them over by shaking and wagging your finger at them. You're not gonna win them over by nagging them. You're gonna win them over with your conduct, with your behavior, all right, with your attitude. And this extends beyond uh, wives and husbands. This extends to all of us and how we're going to uh, change those whom we are under, your boss. You know, let's say your boss is just a, a profane individual and you're, you know, you're thinking, man, I just wish he would, you know, stop using Jesus' name as a cuss word and so forth. Well, I'm not going to win that person over by telling them, hey, you're offending me, okay? That's offensive to me, and I need you to stop right now. Okay, well, they may stop, or, or you could, you know, you could put a complaint into human resources or something like that, all right? But in the end, you're not going to win their heart. You may change the external, right? You may, you may be able to press in and keep them from no longer using that word, but you've hardened their heart, right? So the point here that is being made is applicable to Christians in any situation where you're under someone who's not a Christian, who's not living as a Christian, right? Um, you are going to conduct yourself in such a way that you can win them over, that you be winsome with your attitude, right? All right, when they see you respectful and pure conduct. And then um, he, you know, he's talking about, he begins to talk about what we would consider, you know, beauty. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, this is not saying, you know, wear rags, all right? Uh, you know, don't care how you dress and don't care whether you do your hair or anything like that. It's saying this is not what you're relying on. This is, this is not the beauty that you want to work on, that you want to focus on, that you want to pay attention to. And these days, this could be equally applicable to, to men. We might not use the word beauty, but you know, I spend an inordinate amount of time in the gym just so that I don't you know, look my age, essentially. You know? I wanna have energy and all that, but you know, I, yeah, I'm going to intrinsic too much and I'm getting a gut again and it's frustrating me and you know, it's, I'm focusing on the external and I go and buy these clothes at Dillard's and you know, does this fit and how do I look and whatever and you know, wear my fancy outfit on Sunday morning that nobody compliments and... Because they can't talk to you. <laughs> yes, well, no, if Craig's preaching, nobody talks to me at all, um, but we won't get into that. Oh at least if I'm the preacher that Sunday, it's like, you know, there's a reason to talk to me. I can just be completely ignored other than that. Um, I could have just not even been here Sunday and nobody would have known. Uh, the point is, um, it's, it's your character. The beauty needs to be your character, right? That's the quality that we're looking to develop because that just, that comes through. And your character should be what drives how you conduct yourself with how you dress and you know what you do with your hair and all these other sorts of things. Um, I think that one of the things that I've, I've noticed is that um, people who do certain things that could be construed as um, degrading, uh, harming themselves, scarring their bodies and so forth, probably have uh, a self-esteem issue, a self-image problem. They don't see themselves as a beautiful person, essentially. So. Um, you know, I don't want to offend anybody because I know people have different thoughts, but I'll just use an extreme that I don't know anybody who, who has. Um, I think facial tattoos, unless you come from a part of the world where that is a part of your culture, are an example of that. Uh, there's an artist that's out right now, and I, I've seen him. In fact, he had a Super Bowl commercial, but he's got tattoos all over his face. But they don't look good. They don't look good at all. They, they, they look terrible, right? They look like a 10-year-old drew on his face, right? Now, bless him, that doesn't make me look at him any differently. It makes me wonder, when he got these, does he still feel the way he felt when he got these? Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you do that to yourself, okay? It has to do with how you see yourself. And he presents you, so there's, there's a degree of, well, if you don't like me, then forget you, right? Or uh, there was a song that came out, it's probably in the 90s. In fact, I know it was in the 90s because I kind of adopted this song for a while. Um, it's a female artist, and uh, she, the, the line in the song is, let's give them something to talk about. So it's like, you know, people are apparently saying something about this woman and whoever it is that she's with, and she's like, well, let's just give them something to talk about then. Right? If they're going to talk, let's give them something to talk about. It's almost like that attitude. You know, well, forget you. If you don't like me, I'm going to give you something. You think that that's bad? Watch what I'm going to do next. You know, I remember in the was it late 80s, I think, early 90s, at the wane of his fighting career, Mike Tyson got that facial tattoo. 
And you can tell by the nature of it, it's that tribal style that was really popular in the 90s, which I was really wondering. I'm like, y'all are getting this tribal tattoos and that's gonna just pretty much go out of style and then you're gonna look like you're dated. You know, you're just gonna look like, hey, you're stuck in the 90s, you know? But to put it, you know, at least if it's on your arm or something, you can't see it, but put it on your face? Oh, okay. But now Mike Tyson, you know, he's coming back around like, you know, uh, people are looking at his old fights and, and so forth. I'm not trying to disparage Mike Tyson. I'm not even trying to disparage facial tattoos so much as to say, this may be an expression of a, a poor self-image of, um, and you might think of somebody like Mike Tyson, wow, you know, he, he had some incredible self-esteem. I mean, he beat everybody. Not at that point. At that point, he was at the bottom of the barrel, right? There are multiple issues behind that whole thing that could be behind that. Now, I'm just playing amateur psychologist here in an effort to illustrate something, and that is that you don't need to just dress down and wear a sack and not do anything with yourself because you're like, no, I want people to look at my internal beauty. Okay, they might not be able to see your internal beauty, you know, it, the inside and the outside should correspond, if that makes sense. So I don't have to go out and spend a ridiculous amount of money on jewelry and clothes and so forth. And I've got some nice clothes upstairs that I got at a really great price. I'm so excited. If I would have spent the money that, you know, the price tags on those shirts that I have, which is why I gotta lose this gut because I'm not gonna be able to wear them. Um, but I, there's no way. Those shirts were between 85 and $125 a piece. I'm not paying that for a shirt, I'm sorry. I'm not paying that for a pair of pants. I might pay that for a pair of shoes if I thought they were gonna last for a long time, right? If they're really amazing dress shoes or something. But I'm not paying, but when I can go to Dillard's and get 65% off and then 50% off to 65% off and I'm gonna get a $125 shirt for 20 bucks, yeah, I'm gonna do that. So, yeah, so look nice. Feel nice about yourself, but understand it's the internal quality that we're supposed to be developing, right? Um, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. Notice, beauty is perishable. This is why I'm working so hard to try to, you know, maintain a degree of my youthfulness, I suppose, because it's perishing. It's going away, right? Um, that's just the nature of it. We don't, <laughs> I look at young people now and I'm like, oh, you just don't understand. You don't have to do anything and you look good. You know, it's just, and me, yeah, I got to be in the gym 40 minutes a day and whatever just to, you know, have a modicum of, well, but it's perishable. It passes away, right? But if we look at things differently and we realize that the, the internal is not perishable. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, I'm being renewed day by day. So the internal is becoming more beautiful, right? The internal is becoming more like Christ. That's why I want to develop that and I want to look at that, right? Um, and then he focuses on, he says, the imperishable beauty of something specific, a gentle and quiet spirit. That's, that's, a, powerful, that's a powerful quality um, that, especially when a woman has this, it is, it's, it's a very, very winsome quality. All right. Remember, gentleness does not mean weakness. Now, although if I get to the verse, you're going to see that uh, Peter refers to the woman as the weaker vessel. And we'll find out why in a moment. This doesn't have to do with character, just to let you know. But gentle means power under control. 
Okay? Now, you know, when you have to yell, I've got moms, I've got teachers in here. Um, teachers that have to scream at their class, or I don't know how you would do it in a deaf classroom, would just make the gestures really big, you know? But I've 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 seen I've seen situations where there are teachers that just that class is under control. They know. She doesn't have to yell. She doesn't have to raise her voice. All she has to do, proximity. If you're a teacher, you know proximity is essential. You walk up to that desk and you get three feet from that kid. Now, if you have no power, it doesn't matter. But if you have power, you don't have to say a word. There, yes, ma'am. Okay, there's power in that. A quiet spirit. It's the opposite of, of you know, opinionated and, and manipulative and nagging or whatever term you want to use. This is the opposite of that. Someone who has a quiet spirit knows who's in control. And although she may be subject to her husband, she knows that it is the Lord that is in control and he's got the power. So I'm looking at our country right now going off the rails. And I'm not worried because I know who's in control. So when you have that, then you're, you're not likely to be anxious or panicky or fearful um, or angry. Um, I think, uh, and this is not explicitly a gender trait, but I think many women can be fearful and many men can be angry, right? Uh, men have panic attacks just like women, but women can be more panicky and men can be more, you know, rage monsters, right? For me, that's the, that's the issue. It ticks me off. I want to go fight something. I want to go fight somebody, you know? Well, when I, I cannot watch the George Floyd video. It will make me too angry. It will make me too angry. When I heard what happened to Ahmad Arbery, is that his name? The guy that the two Georgia boys chased down, shot Arbery, Ar what's his name? Anyway, um, I just saw a part of that and listened to that. It infuriated me. It's, when I see injustice, it makes me so angry and I want to do something about it. And yet I realize that that specific situation, I can't do anything about right? So I've got to trust the Lord. When I see civil rights being, in my opinion, violated by, you know, these individuals who are in positions of authority, who are forcing people who are healthy to stay inside and not have a job, that infuriates me. I think it's wrong. I think it's a, it's a violation of due process. For yeah, the, somebody that you know, I'm not saying I didn't vote for him, so I'm not listening to him. I'm talking about Judge Clay Jenkins in Dallas County. I didn't even know that guy existed. I don't know who that is, right? And that he has the power to tell me that if I leave my house for anything other than what he considers essential, then I get a $1,000 ticket and six months in jail? That's an obscenity. That's ridiculous. When he tells me that I have to wear a mask... Who are you? I get infuriated at all those things. 
I have to realize that there is a God, he's in control, he's good, and that even if we've got to suffer through some of these indignities, that he's gonna take even the worst situation and he's gonna make it into something that is good. So this is the scenario, hopefully, that can be transferred across into someone's life who is under a boss. This would be the equivalent of slavery today. You know, you're just not appreciated and you're not being paid for, you know, what you're doing and so forth. And you've got a boss that's treating you disrespectfully and so forth. Well, then, you know, what the apostles said here is that, you know, you need to submit to them and the purpose is to win them over and to show that you do have a trust in something and someone higher than them. If you're in a relationship with someone and no marriage relationship is gonna go perfectly, uh, you're not gonna be treated perfectly all the time. Uh, no man, no woman is going to uh, live their life out uh, as a perfect Christian all the time. So there may be times when you're like, you know, what am I in this for? So here we have this example. You should focus on developing this, this imperishable character quality, this beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious, even if it's not appreciated by the man, okay? For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Notice, the holy women who hoped in God. So my hope is beyond this. Once again, this doesn't work if you're an atheist. This doesn't work if your only hope is down here. Right? This doesn't work if you're trying to build a utopia here. My hope is in a God who will judge, who will make all things right. That's what he's going to do, right? They used to adorn themselves in this way, the, the apostle says, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So um, I'm not advocating that you call your husband Lord, okay, you know, Lord Joey, <laughs> I do know Lord, don't I, okay, <laughs> so when you, when you get home to Joey, <laughs> all right, um, but what I think this is saying is that we need to avoid being overly familiar, now that might sound contrary to what marriage is supposed to be, but I just don't think so. In fact, I need to look up, I think I saved Craig and Rachel's, uh, uh, their, their wedding on paper. I think I have yours as well. Um, some of them I've gone back and I've changed because it becomes the format for someone else's wedding. And so, oh, well. But if there, there was a distinctive there in their wedding, it was a quote and I would need to track it back down again. Um, but Billy Graham attributed his many years of marriage to Ruth Belgram, um, to their relationship with Christ and separate bathrooms. <laughs> so what is the point there? He just kind of let, it was humorous, but he let this little thing escape that that was their way of respecting each other's space. That was their way of understanding that, you know what, there, there can't be an overly familiar relationship without losing respect, okay? You can lose respect for yourself, believe it or not. There can just be this, uh, this, this lack of self-respect, and, and maybe that is the better way of uh, evaluating what the, um, the problem is behind those who, you know, facial tattoos and these sorts of things. It may be a lack of self-respect. 
There's just, that's not that. So it really begins with respect with God, self-respect and respect for the other person. And so that's why, you know, I've known, I've known your son since he was 12. I could be excessively familiar with him, right? Um, but I, I still the one see you all dirty and sweaty. I call I call him I call him Mr. Wilson in front of people all the time. I call him Pastor Craig in front of people all the time. Why is that? Because he deserves that respect. So I'm not like, oh, you know, you'll always be a kid to me and you know, and I'm not gonna No. You know, you you've earned that. You deserve that. And I think that we need to bring that back into our relationships, okay? So, you know, you see this type of a, a, a perspective uh, in marriages, you know, 60, 70 year marriages, people that come from a different time period where she calls him Mr. Well, why would she do that? It's the same thing as calling him Lord. What does Mr. come from? It comes from master. That's where it comes from, all right? So this is the idea. So our application of this is that we treat one another with respect, okay? So, um, you know, however we need to do that, that's how we need to do that. I, I don't think, now I don't know what your personal practice is and I'm not trying to be uh, the judge or, or anything, but in a classroom, I don't think that the students need to call the teacher by her first name. Oh, I just don't. I, I think that that's a bad move. I really do. And our kids, I mean, they're, you know, we've got little kids and the, you know, the best thing I can hope for is that they can just pronounce my name, right? But this is why I encourage them to call me Pastor Daryl, not just Daryl, right? Now Shiloh's just beginning to talk and it's so cute. Daryl. Daryl. <laughs> to add pastor to that would be, in, you know, excessively difficult right now to get. But the point, the point is not to elevate myself but at the, same, at the same time, I do have enough self-respect, right? The boys that I toured around with for you know umpteen years that were incredibly difficult, I would not allow them to call me Daryl. They could call me Pastor D. If they said Daryl, I didn't even turn around. The, to this day, Eric will call me Pastor D. Pastor D, right? So. The D was my effort at being a little more, you know, down on your level. I didn't start calling myself that. S students in the colony, my first youth ministry started calling me D. Like, okay, well, I guess I'm that cool, huh? I'm D. So then when I became a pastor, it was just easy to just transfer it over to Pastor D, right? But that's the point uh, behind all of this. I will, I'll get into the next verse next week. Um, uh, the husband's verse, but understand, he says, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as to the weaker vessel. This is not referring to a weakness of character. This is literally, an average woman has 60% of the strength of an average man. Now, I've seen ladies over at Lifetime Fitness that can squat a house. <laughs> I'm just oh, like, like. <laughs> good gracious. No, some of them, there's a lady and she, I think she's, I think she's Asian. Her waist is like this big around, but I mean, she squats more than me. And I'm like, God, but she's 20 something athlete, whatever. So I'm not talking about, you know, an athlete, an elite woman compared to an average dude. I'm talking about an average dude and an average woman, right? So we'll talk about that next week, but in any event, all right. 
So that's the end of our study tonight. I appreciate you guys very, very much. We love you and we will see you again.